This is AgriPulse Open Mic. I'm your host, Jeff Nally. Our guest this week is Mike Frank, Executive Vice President and CEO of Retail at Nutrient. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by NCIS, the National Crop Insurance Services. Crop insurance, the smartest, most efficient way to secure America's food, fiber, and fuel supply. AgriPulse Open Mic continues with Nutrient's Mike Frank, next. Today's Open Mic segment is brought to you by America's Crop Insurance Industry, which is thankful for the continued support of farmers, commodity organizations, rural businesses, lenders, and lawmakers who are fighting to maintain a strong farm safety net. Providing individualized protection on more than 300 million acres of farmland, crop insurance remains the smartest, most efficient way to secure America's food, fiber, and fuel supply. This is AgriPulse Open Mic. Nutrien, the world's largest crop inputs company, continues to expand both retail locations as well as companies to grow their portfolio of service for their customers. Mike Frank, Executive Vice President and CEO of Nutrien Retail, says industry consolidation is merely a reflection of trends happening at the farm level of the industry. Part of what we're seeing across the ag industry is consolidation, not not just with retailers, but that's true at, at the retail level. It's happening really it's starting at the farm gate. Farms and farmers continue to get bigger, and as they get bigger, they get more efficient. We're seeing that same consolidation happen with our suppliers where they're coming together to be, you know, become uh, more capable companies. And the same thing's happening at the retail side where, you know, retail companies are consolidating and, you know, the retail networks and the companies are getting larger. And I, I actually see it as a strength. You know, we've learned a lot with COVID-19 in terms of how fragile and how important the agricultural value chain is. And when you have strong players, uh, financially strong and successful farmers, retailers, and suppliers, that all creates a more sustainable and more durable supply chain, ultimately for consumers. So we view that as good and, and, and as a positive change. Now, you're right, Jeff, we are focused on growth. And so we've been one of the companies, uh, but of course not the only one, that, that's been uh, acquiring and building and growing our retail business. And so we are doing that through acquisitions. I think last year alone, we made about 34 acquisitions to add to our network. But look, at the end of the day, our customers don't care if we're big or small. What they care about is whether or not we've got the products they need, whether our people are helping them make the best decisions on every field and every acre, and you know whether we're able to provide them the services that they need. And so that's, at the end of the day, what we're focused on. And what we find, Jeff, is as we've grown our business, we can operate more efficiently. And, again, I think that's really important because if we're inefficient, that's not helping our customers. And, in fact, the more efficient we are with new technologies, the more we serve our customers. How is e-commerce changing the face of retail, especially when it comes down to storefronts and the functionality of storefronts? You know, if you go back 10 or 20 years, the storefront was important. You know, our customers would come in, have a conversation, you know, think about what, what they need to buy, and, and we would serve them. Sometimes they would pick it up, you know, while they were there, and sometimes we would deliver products. That's not the way ag retail works anymore. We do business with our customers at the farm itself or in the field. 
And so our people, our sales agronomists, we've got about 3,500 sales agronomists in our network. They have a, a home office where they, they maybe spend a couple hours every week doing some administrative work, but their time is spent in the field because that's what our customers want. And of course, the more time we're spending with our customers on their farm and in their fields, the better we get to know their business. So e-commerce is not a big, important tool today. We have e-commerce capability, and our customers can order products from us online if they choose. But today, this is still a very much a people business. And so we're using a lot of digital tools. And so, for example, we'll work with our customers to develop a farm plan, and we'll use that using a digital interface. And then we can order, or the farmer can order products directly off of that farm plan. So in that way, you may think of it as e-commerce, but it's not e-commerce the way, say, you would think of Amazon, where, you know, the, the customer goes online and, and just independently starts ordering products. The vast majority of products that we sell, we have a conversation with that customer before they make their final order, just to make sure that we're helping them make the best purchase decision. In order for you to grow revenue for the company and for your shareholders, it appears that you either need better margins or you need more acres or perhaps you need both. That's not how I think about it. What we need to do is help our farmers make more money. I want every time you know our customers to know and trust that if they're doing business with us, they're going to maximize their return on investment and they're going to get the advice on sustainability that, that, that they need and, and based on how important that is for them. You know, what we've learned in our business as we've grown over the last several years, and look, we've grown a lot as a retail business, you know, over the last 10 years. 10 years ago, we were selling about $5 billion worth of products every year. This year, we expect to sell about $14 billion of farm inputs and services. So we clearly are growing our business but we're focused on adding value to the customer and, you know, believing that and seeing it, that when we do that, we get more of their business and then that helps us grow our business. So it, it, it works very good for us that way. And I think it's ultimately, that's the only way you can sustainably grow your business. How did 2019 and the number of prevent plant acres that we saw in the U.S., how did that affect you? And what is your vision now on 20, especially as acreage didn't come up as much as perhaps many thought that it might. Jeff, 2019 was one heck of a tough year. You know, it was tough for our customers with all the prevent plant acres. And, you know, it's probably even tougher on the supply chain, on the retailer and supplier side, because, you know, we weren't able to sell products on those acres. And, of course, as a retailer, we, we, don't, we don't have crop insurance. We've got a strong balance sheet, and we're in this for the long term. That's just the way agriculture works. I hope 2019 was a one-in-a-hundred type year. You know, time will tell. 2020, you know, USDA came out early, I think back in March, and said there was going to be 97 million acres of corn and, you know, 83 to 84 million acres of soybeans. We thought at the time that the projections on corn were aggressive. We start selling corn seed in September, October. And by the time we get to March, you know, most of the corn seed is bought and booked. And we certainly weren't seeing the, the growth in acres that would be consistent with that. So we thought that that was a bit off. Unfortunately, when that acre projection came out, you also saw commodity prices come down and corn in particular went down significantly from close to $4 a bushel back in January to futures were down to the 320, 330 mark. You know, now that USDA has come out and said uh, corn acres are 92 million acres, 
that firstly that aligns with where, where we think they are based on our sales of corn seed in particular. And actually, we think that's, um, you know, that's actually a better outcome. I think, again, 92 million acres, which is kind of historically where we, we see corn acres. It's, you know, it's even on the high end of historical numbers, but it's a very sustainable area, I think, for U.S. corn production. The Department of Agriculture has documented well the cut that we have seen in net farm income. So looking at this 2020 crop, if money was trite, could you see it in the buying patterns of farmers for inputs this year and anything that might limit the crop to the upside of its potential? Jeff, the way, what we see happening at the farm gate is, you know, clearly farmers are looking for any area that they can pinch pennies. And probably where that's being felt the most is, is likely in the farm equipment side where, you know, instead of getting a new combine or tractor or, or, or planter, they're getting a few more years and doing maintenance instead of uh, replenishing their, you know, equipment with new equipment. Look, when it comes to inputs, you, you can't really cut back on fertilizer because you immediately see that in your yields. You know, the worst thing you can do is penalize your yields because then you make a, a, a bad situation even worse. Not only are you getting lower commodity prices, but you're not, you know, you're not optimizing productivity on your farm. So whether it's fertilizer or seed, or crop protection chemicals, or nutrients, we haven't seen yet this year any pullback on investment. While we're talking about dollars and cents, do you also find yourself now having to shoulder some responsibility or find financial solutions for farmers who may be cash-strapped? Absolutely. In fact, we see it as one of the services that we bring to our customers. We have a tool that we call Nutrient Finance, and over the last couple of years, as commodity prices have come down, we have seen some of our customers have more challenges getting access to operating lines from third-party creditors, you know, local banks and credit unions. So we, we've stepped up, actually. We're, we're lending more to our customers than we ever have. And, you know, sometimes I get asked the question, are you worried about that? And, and, and quite frankly, I'm not. We, we know our customers we're helping them ultimately grow the crops on their farm, and we know the productivity of the farms. And so we're stepping into this challenge and trying to be there for our customers. Our lending will be up quite a bit this year with our customers. Is it difficult now, I guess, to remain objective of making uh, suggestions for the farm and also the proprietary situation that we find where a seed choice determines the herbicide and the pest management choice? So this is where we're starting to use every year more and more data science, and it's extremely exciting. So, for example, we're now using historical yield maps and satellite data to do variable rate scripting for both either their seeding or planting rate as well as their fertilizer strategy. So instead of going out and doing the same planting rate across the whole field or the same fertilizer application across the whole field, we're now doing variable rate uh, prescriptions. And again, that's helping our customers save money on the acres that are less productive and get more productivity on the acres that are more productive. We're also using tools to help choose the right seed. Now we're using data science. We're using pre-commercial and commercial seed trial data. We're pulling in all public uh, seed trial data, and we're running that through an analytical tool. And we're basically able to say to our customers, look, depending on weather conditions, which we still can't predict yet, 
here are your top three C choices, here's the price difference, and here's the performance difference depending on how uh, the weather plays out next year. So it's, it's doing things like that that I think is really helping us partner with our customers and helping them minimize risk as well as maximizing productivity. I noted from a presentation early in the year you were discussing areas of expansion and of growth, and on the list was organic. So from what I see, you're not just about conventional commercial farming practices. A- absolutely. And, in fact, we, we think all types of farming is what's needed to, you know, ultimately uh, achieve what, what the consumer wants, um, but also ultimately to, to feed the planet. And, you know, so we, we serve agriculture, like I said earlier, across the U.S. So whether it's a corn and soybean farmer in the Midwest, you know, or a cotton farmer in Texas, or a, a nut farmer in California, or, or a, a vegetable farmer in, in, in Florida. So, look, we, we are growing the, uh, our portfolio of organic products. Um, and, and there's really two things that are happening. You know, some of our producers are certified organic. And so with those producers, we're always looking for new tools to help them be more efficient in, in helping control pests and, and manage their fertility. What we're seeing a trend, though, is as farmers are focused on sustainability kind of broadly and thinking about that not just with respect to the products that they're using, but also being efficient with the land that they're farming so that they can maximize their productivity so that, you know, so that ultimately we don't have to cut down Amazon rainforest to produce more soybeans, you know, to feed a growing planet. So a lot of, I think the idea of sustainability has a different uh, perspective today where it's use the most efficient resources and inputs that you can but also try and maximize or optimize your productivity. And so with a lot of our customers now, we are using a combination of, you know, synthetic uh, chemistries and organic chemistries. And, you know, they're, they're lowering their carbon footprint um, and they're, you know, farming in a more sustainable way. And I think that's where sustainability is, is going to continue to go. Does Nutrient sustainability strategy include a caveat for revenue from carbon sequestration? Yeah, so look, it's a great question. As we all know in agriculture, the soils can sequester significant amounts of carbon. That's a huge opportunity. Now, today, in most markets, there's not an active carbon trading um, uh, market, uh, you know, including in the U.S., but we think that this is going to uh, develop uh, over time, and it's probably going to come sooner than later. We, we actually have sustainability tools, and so we're working with a number of third parties where w- if our customer wants a, a carbon report and a greenhouse gas report on their farm, we can do that, and we can run third-party tools uh, to, to calculate the exact carbon footprint uh, of a bushel produced uh, on that land. And some of our customers are getting premiums from food companies. You know, we're partnered with a number of food companies that, that want to source uh, sustainable products, and they want to be able to trace back to the field exactly what happened on every bushel that was grown. And so, again, I think this is an emerging opportunity for our farmer customers. And, again, I think it's going to help drive a more sustainable agricultural uh, outcome. Let's move inside the Beltway. What do you need from Washington, or what do you not need from Washington during this time <laughs> in agriculture? Yeah, look, I think obviously 
uh, policy in, in, in D.C. is incredibly important and, and has significant impact on, on our farmer customers. So I probably mentioned three things that, that are top of mind for me. One is agriculture in the U.S. is, a, is a clearly a net export business. And so we need good trade policy. Our farmer customers produce the best products here in the U.S., and so they need markets that can accept their products outside the U.S. And, of course, over the last couple of years, there's been a lot of tension with China, and we were really pleased to see the Phase 1 trade agreement. Um, however, you know, so far, and you know, we're already halfway into the year, you know, the, the, the amount of purchases coming out of China, you know, it looks like it's going to be hard to live up to the commitments that they made in Phase 1. So those trade policies is incredibly important, and it's not just with China, um, you know, the, the new trade deal with, with Japan, uh, USMCA uh, is very important to, uh, to our customers. And so good trade policy across the board really helps our customers. So that would be number one. Number two would be our, our true science-based regulatory policy. Um, our farmer customers and ultimately cons- society and consumers around the, the world need uh, farmers to have access to new tools and technologies. And when regulatory environments get clouded with social issues, uh, typically farmers are on the losing end of that, and ultimately, ultimately if farmers are on the losing end, so are consumers. So the U.S. today, uh, you know, same in Canada. We operate in Brazil. It's the same there. You know, we're seeing good science-based regulatory policy, but there's always pressure on that. And, you know, you just if you look over to what's happening in Europe today, they, they've lost that. And because they've lost that, they're now a net importer of ag goods. And, you know, ultimately, again, I, I think, you know, we really need to, to, to advocate for that and, and hold on to that. The third thing would be rural broadband. And the reason rural broadband is so important is because farming is becoming more technified. And unfortunately, there are, there are a lot of dead spots across the rural areas where Farming is very productive, but they can't get access to to cell coverage, uh, and therefore they can't get access to Wi-Fi. As, as farming gets more precise, when you not only do you want to optimize the acre, you probably want to optimize a ten square yard area. And in order to do that, you need to be able to flow data off the farm and off your farm equipment in terms of the outputs coming off that acre and the inputs going into that acre. And, and today what, what happens in a lot of this area is farmers are streaming data, but until they get back into the, their yards and, and pull out a thumb drive and put the thumb drive into their computer at home, they can't have access to the data. And that's just not acceptable. We, we need, our customers need real-time data access so that they can really optimize their decisions. So, Jeff, those would be the three things that I think, you know, policy in D.C. really can, can make a difference for for farmers across the U.S. Here's a big question that only has a few words. What does agriculture look like post-COVID-19? Well, look, I, I think the biggest impact, so, you know, obviously we've had to adjust our operations so that we kept our employees and our customers safe and healthy, uh, and we've been able to do that. You know, we now do touchless pickup and touchless drop-off. Those things may or may not continue. I think the biggest impact of COVID is, again, back to the consumer. We, when, when we went to the grocery store, we all went to the grocery store in March and early April, and we saw bare shelves or we were being 
allocated, you know, one package of hamburger or chicken. Um, I think that that was an eye-opening experience for all of us consumers who, you know, I think we, we just thought that that would never happen here in the U.S. where we're, you know, we're such a strong producer of, of, of meat and vegetables and commodities. But the ag value chain is fragile. And I, I think it really helped. As I talked to my neighbors in the city, they now, I think, have a new appreciation for the importance of farmers and ranchers across the U.S., and I think that's good. You know, most people are three generations removed from the farm, so they they had grandparents that were on the farm, um, and they've kind of lost track of, of, of how important farming is and how we must support our farmers from a policy standpoint, uh, but also from a society standpoint. So I, I think that's, I, I hope that's the biggest legacy that we get from, from COVID-19 in agriculture. Well, Mike Frank, we want to thank you for taking time during a very challenging and hectic 2020 season to visit with us here on this edition of Open Mike. Mike, it is Open Mike, and you have the last word today. Hey, well, thank you, Jeff. It's been my pleasure being with you. Yeah, again, every time my, my last point would be when you sit down at your table tonight and you're digging into a balanced plate of nutrition, some vegetables uh, on your plate, maybe a little bit of meat and protein and, and some carbs, uh, just remember that and, and, a, and, and a glass of milk or juice, that, that all started uh, with a farmer. And so, uh, so, so uh, thank, thank a farmer tonight for putting food on your table. Our thanks to Nutrients Mike Frank, our guest this week on Open Mike. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by NCIS, the National Crop Insurance Services. Crop insurance, the smartest, most efficient way to secure America's food, fiber, and fuel supply. For AgriPulse, I'm Jeff Daly.